find a room here. I'm Curious John, and I'll see you again next week. The Sound of the Puyuma Tribe on Radio Taiwan International. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Shirley Lin with In the Spotlight. Welcome to In the Spotlight. I'm Shirley Lin. Now, um, I have in the studio with me Chen Wanling, who is actually the head of documentary office and programmer for the Taiwan International Documentary Festival. And uh, this year, the TIDF, the short form of it, is taking place from April 30th to May 9th this year. This, in fact, is one of the major professional platforms for documentaries in all of Asia. Now, TIDF um, uh, was uh, started in 1998, so it's been 20-some years, and this this year is the 12th year of holding this um, biennial festival. For this year, a total of 2,300 entries, and 44 of them are being screened uh, at the festival this year, who took part in three different competitions. There's actually a total of 140 um, films being uh, screened uh, during this festival this year, which includes some non-competitive ones. But anyway, let's uh, meet Wanling first. Hi, Wanling. Hi, Shirley. Yes, nice to meet you, and thank you for making the time to come in. Thank you for inviting us. All right. So um, let's just start off by talking about the fact that I understand that um, the festival this year is mostly paying tribute to Hong Kong. In other words, Hong Kong's documentary films. So um, you want to talk a little bit about that? Uh, we have an independent program uh, dedicated to independent film from China and Hong Kong. It's one of the uh, programs that we have this year, uh, which we have around 12 in total. And we select a Hong Kong film as an opening film this year. I see. Yeah. Okay. Um, you want to talk about that particular one? I know there actually, actually is more than one uh, films from Hong Kong that can be screened, but you want to talk about one particular one maybe? Um, yeah, maybe we'll just talk about Inside a Red Brick Wall, which is the opening film. Um, I think most people know that there has been some social movement in the past three, four or even longer years um, in Hong Kong. And I think that film is the culmination of, of these movements in the past years. So for us, um, because the festival is postponed for a year, uh, we were we were to take place in, in May last year, but then um, because of a pandemic, so we sort of postponed it to this year. And seeing a film like this 
in different year, in different backgrounds, sort of give us a um, sense of jet lag, meaning that it's an event that's happened recently, but you're looking at it with a total different um, perspective. And for us, it's a record or a documentation of the event and of this era, of this time that we're living in. So I think it's important for us to, to remember those moments. So I'm sure there have been films from Hong Kong before. Yes. But I think this year, you know, we can pretty much understand why you're, um, you guys are contributing or rather uh, paying tribute um, to Hong Kong in this year's festival because of all the upheaval and the unrest that's been happening in Hong Kong for the last, you know, one or two years. Um, do you think that um, Hong Kong is really going through more of the social unrest in comparison to in the past? Or do you think that it's been built up over the years for a while and we didn't know and now it's brought up to the surface? And I don't know, um, what's your personal look at this? I think it's definitely a build-up from uh, multiple events and multiple um, aspects uh, that are all contributing to to um, the outbreak, let's put it that way. And I think because of the outbreak and the build-up, uh, which makes people in Hong Kong and in the world more aware of, of um, what's actually going on in the society in Hong Kong. I'm assuming that some of these directors of these documentaries from Hong Kong were some unknown people, insignificant people. But this year, or rather, you know, these last few years, they've been bold enough to come out right and kind of get their voices be heard. Or even like, you know, uh, put what they saw, put it out to public. So I'm sure there are a lot of, you know, people who had never made documentaries or even films before. So they're like new upcoming directors from um, Hong Kong maybe? I think experienced and new, I think both, because they, I think during the movement, they sort of realize you feel powerless as an individual and by coming together as a group, as a community, I think um, you feel more supportive and um, you can have more resources mm. um, and you feel more powerful mm. to to know and to, to have backup to what you're doing. Because sometimes in, at the scene, you, you are only yourself with the camera mm. and you have no one. But then if you know there's a whole group of people who's, who's holding the same idea, same belief as you do, then I think that's what pushes them forward to to um, record, to document, uh, to spread, to to tell these stories that are probably not told uh, in mainstream media. Right, right. Now, do you want to talk about some of the competitions that you hold? Maybe those three um, particular ones uh, yeah. in the festival. Yeah, uh, TIDF is a competitive festival. We have three major um, competition sections, which is Asian Vision, uh, Taiwan and international mm. um, by emphasizing Asian vision because I guess more than a thousand festivals in the world and so what do we stand out as a festival in Taiwan or in Asia and from what we see in the world especially in Europe and North America it's kind of hard for them to come by like um, authentic um, perspectives from Asia mostly they're um, stories that are portrayed by, um, let's call European or Western 
um, filmmakers. So we want to emphasize on that we are from Asia. We have our own perspective. And Asia, the idea of Asia is actually massive from, mm -hmm. let's say, Russia. Mm. From the Middle East, um, to all the way to to what we know as Japan, Taiwan, Southeast Asia, all these countries. So it's broad idea which we want to um, show the spectrum and the cultural uh, history um, in this area. Mm. This immense area yeah, yeah yeah well that is really great so i'm sure that a lot of you know um directors uh they jump at this opportunity to bring out their production because it, we're focused on asia and that includes a lot of you know countries within this area whereas maybe if they were to attend even bigger international which is like worldwide um, they might not stand out but um i think this is really good that you guys focus on just asia and that it, that opens up a lot of opportunities for countries who generally don't hold this kind of festivals or competitions. Yeah, right? exactly. Uh, I think for us, it's to to bring Asia to the world in a way because we have international networking um, and connections. So yeah, after all, we call it Heart of Asia, right? Taiwan, <laughs> Heart of Asia. Yeah, so they, will, so they will see this film, not just Taiwanese film, but also all the um, other Asian films that are um, less known. Um, it's a it's an opportunity for these um, Western or European or American festivals to see these films. So in a way, we're a window to Asia mm. for them, and for our audience, it's also a great opportunity to explore this film because they honestly it, these films are really hard to come by. Mm. So it's a huge platform for for these filmmakers to have their film shown. I mean, it benefits Taiwan too, right? Because yeah. we're trying so much to globalize ourselves that um, this is a way of letting Taiwan be seen and also, but then we're opening a platform, welcoming all these people to, to use Taiwan as a platform um, to show their works, which then other people can appreciate and uh, we get to promote ourselves too at the same time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think because um, most a lot of Taiwanese filmmakers, they didn't know how to get their films out of Taiwan. Mm. Um, I guess they just don't have, not that they don't have the resources, but they um, need a push. Mm. In a way. So in a way, we're, we're with that hand behind them to push. The pushing their, hand. Yeah, the pushing hand. <laughs> yeah. In oh. a good direction. Yeah, right, well. right. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Okay. Um, can we talk about the directors um, from, you know, from all the different countries that are here? I'm sure there are those who are veteran directors who've mm -hmm. always, you know, took, taken part. But then I'm sure there are some new ones, some upcoming mm -hmm. ones that some who is planning to make this into their career. From what you've seen, of all these entries that came in, I guess I'm sure you got to view some, and review some, and have some feelings about certain directors' works. Um, is there any one particular one or one or two that stand out to you, whether it's Taiwan or Indonesian or China or whatever or Japanese? Um, I think I think I'll come back to the Asian Vision competition that I just mentioned. Um, a lot of filmmakers that uh, we have. There are 15 titles in there, and I think for experienced filmmakers and newly come, like upcoming um, filmmakers, they're more or less half and half. So in a way, you can see very good um, quality films in, in this section. But what surprises me always throughout the years I've been working um, at TIDF is that there's always new ideas, new boundaries that are broken. 
Mm. Um, oh. Again and again, it challenges your your um, perspective on documentary filmmaking and what a documentary is. And I think that precisely fits our our um, core spirit, which is reencounter reality, uh, meaning that you bid a farewell to to the reality, to the truth that you know. But then you are brought to another level, another phase, or another phases of of this reality, because reality have multiple phases. Um, so we're trying to, as a festival, widen the spectrum of of this documentary filmmaking mm. industry. And well, is that and the theme for this year's festival? Uh, it's a it's a spirit we we hold throughout okay. the years. So oh, it's oh, not, okay. uh, one thing for for this particular year, yeah. but this is um, the idea that we always have during our programming process. You, as organizer, don't put any limit. On the the entries that uh, that apply for the festival, that you don't put any boundaries, so that people can really express, you know, use their creativity, innovation, and and come up with anything. And that's how we can be able to experience things that are like, you know, oh wow, I didn't know that it can be done that way, you know, or done yeah, this I think, way. I think precisely that because um, I'm quoting from someone I admire a lot that as a festival, you have to always be ahead of the audience, meaning that you need to show something that they've never thought about. Mm. Um, otherwise, there's no excitement. Point, there's no point for a festival <laughs> yeah. to exist because nowadays it's easy for for the audience to to see documentaries on the internet, um, on Netflix, on um, television, and all that. Um, so for us, we create uh, a liveness. Mm. Meaning that you get to see this film and sort of interact with these filmmakers and seeing things that you've never thought about before and seeing things that are not possible on the internet or or any other channels. Oh, yeah, yeah that's right. That's true. Yeah. Well, the last thing, let's talk about some of the Taiwan films. Um, I think I'm aware of one that I saw a bit of it, and I didn't realize that it was actually taking part in this year's festival, is the one called A Decision by Maso Chen, and um, uh, apparently was screened in Hong Kong. Um, it's about these patients on ventilators for lifetime, mm-hmm. and the doctor... I think the person who was who made this documentary is a doctor himself, right? Uh, no, he's a professional oh. filmmaker, but he's oh. really close to to his the doctor. Prote- yeah, the doctor. One particular doctor. Yeah. yeah, I think it's interesting for this film that um, it's it comes from um, several perspectives in the film. There's a there's a perspective from from the doctors, Mm-mm-mm. like how they see these patients and and what are their decisions every day in treating these mm. um, patients, and mm. also the perspective from the patients uh, while they still have the ability to express their their wants and their needs mm. and their thoughts. So you see the dilemma and the struggle. It's a daily, hourly, secondly struggle that they have, both the patients and and the doctors. And I think that's one of the the topics that we all face in our lives, which is, you know, coming to the end of life, uh, whether yourself or your loved ones or your Mm -hmm. friends. Um, so it's it's definitely worth seeing. Well, anyway, thank you so much, Wanling. It's really been wonderful talking to you. And I hope that uh, for those of you who are listening can really go take part in this festival. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, Wanling. Thank you, Shirley. Right. Thank you.
Classic shorts, poems, and stories from Chinese literature. Hello and welcome to Classic Shorts. I'm Natalie So. Today we're going to hear from one of the greatest poets of the Tang Dynasty, Du Fu. He and his friend Li Bai have often been called the greatest of China's poets. In the West, Du Fu has also been called the Chinese Shakespeare, and 1,500 of his poems are still with us today. Today, we hear some of his sentiments as he looked at a river during springtime. This one is called Winding River, Part One. Each piece of flying blossom leaves spring the less. I grieve as myriad points float in the wind. I watch the last ones move before my eyes and cannot have enough wine pass my lips. Kingfishers nest by the little hall on the river. Unicorns lie at the high tomb's enclosure. Having studied the world, one must seek joy. For what use is the trap of passing honor? Fu aspired to become a great civil servant, but his aspirations were disrupted, as was much of China, by the Anlusan Rebellion, and he spent the latter 15 years of his life very restless. We can see his melancholy sentiments in his poems like this. This is the next poem in his series, Winding River. I come back from the court each day and pawn some spring clothing. Every day I return to the river as drunk as I can be. I have many debts for wine all over the place. For men to live to 70 has always been unusual. 
I see the butterflies go deeper and deeper between the flowers and dragonflies in leisured flight between drops of water. As we're told, passing time is always on the move. So little time to know each other. We should not be apart. And here's another poem that he wrote along the river at springtime called Spring South of the River. Orioles call for a thousand lee, greens reflected in the river. Waterside village, hillside rampart, wine, a banner in the wind. In the time of the southern dynasties, there were 480 temples. How many pavilions there are now in the mist and rain. And here's another poem about South of the River by another Tang Dynasty poet, Bai Juyi. It's called Remembering South of the River. South of the river is good. Long ago, I knew the landscape well. At sunrise, the river's flowers are red like fire. In spring, the river's waters green as lilies. How could I not remember south of the river? Those are some spring poems for you from the Tang Dynasty, from the famous poets Du Fu and Bai Juyi. Thanks for tuning in to Classic Shorts. I'm Natalie So. Listening to News Playlist. We've queued up some of the most interesting reports for you, brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. Welcome to News Playlist. I'm Paula Chow, the program host. While economies around the world have suffered from strict national lockdowns, Taiwan's finances are seeing their rosiest days in years. But some people feel they have been left behind. Protesters chanting slogans take to the streets outside Taiwan's presidential office building. 
These labor union representatives are here to announce a march set to take place on International Workers' Day on May the 1st. They say that unlike in most countries, the economy here in Taiwan remained stable last year and is expected to grow by 4.6% this coming year. The stock index also recently hit a 29-year high, but workers haven't enjoyed the benefits. Hou Junliang is president of the National Federation of Teachers' Unions. He says over the last 10 years, food prices have gone up 16%, while government tax receipts and the size of economy have both grown by 36%. He asks the crowd if their salaries have grown that much, and whether asking for a pay rise is really so unreasonable. Labor unions are also worried about Taiwan's labor insurance. They say it's a ticking time bomb. The previous government cut business tax rates to stimulate a flagging economy. One trade union head says now the economy is growing, the government should raise that tax and use the money to increase labor insurance. He says since employers haven't passed on the benefits to workers, the government should increase the rate of business income tax from 20% to 24%. That would raise around 2 billion US dollars a year to invest in labor insurance. The march on May the 1st will take 3,000 workers past the Ministry of Education, the Legislature and the Cabinet Building. Stash Butler, RTI News. A prediction made by the Central Intelligence Agency shows that Taiwan's birth rate is the world's lowest this year, at only 1.07. Some said the alarming situation is due to Taiwan's high housing prices and low wages. Miss Lee, who is 22, earns about 1,000 U.S. dollars per month. Accompanied by her mother, she's on her way to a test site. Getting a certificate will enable her to have extra credentials for her career. Lee is not in a hurry to get married or have kids. She has her own dreams, and she said having kids will change her life. She will also have to face the daunting challenge of buying a home. According to the CIA's 2021 birth rate predictions, the five countries with the highest birth rates are all in Africa whereas Asian countries have the lowest rates. Taiwan's birth rate is the world's lowest at only 1.07. Factors causing the low birth rate include high housing prices, high prices, low wages, and few public nurseries. New Power Party official Liu Shijie believes these four factors are interconnected. Liu said setting up a government task force is not going to solve the problem, as high housing prices are young people's biggest worry. A mother said if she could start over again, she will reconsider whether she wants kids at all. Though the government has been working to boost Taiwan's birth rate, it needs to do more. A recent survey shows the income disparity between mothers and fathers in Taiwan and highlights the challenges women have balancing their careers and family. She says the interviewer said she was too old. They wanted someone who just graduated from college. That's Evelyn, and she's facing discrimination due to her age. Perhaps you can't tell, but she's almost 50 years old, and she has over 10 years of experience as a salesperson at department stores. She was making about 40,000 dollars a month, or about 1,400 U.S. dollars. Then she took three years off to take care of her child. She says now it's hard to find a good job opportunity. When asked if she regrets leaving the workforce, she says she does. But then her family needed her. She had to be with her child who was going through a rebellious stage. And all this has been hard on her. 
A recent job bank survey found that 32% of those surveyed think their career is limited by their gender. Mothers had the highest percentage thinking that way at 38%. There's a big disparity with pay as well, especially after people have children. Fathers make about $50,000 a month or about $1,800 U.S. dollars, whereas mothers make only $34,000 a month or about $1,200 U.S. dollars. 1111 Job Bank Media Manager Ho Chi Sun says that many women make sacrifices for their families, such as leaving the workforce. That will affect their experience and income. She suggests that couples discuss their options, and if women do decide to leave the workforce, they should continue to upgrade their skills so it will be easier for them to find a good job when they return. Natalie So, RTI News. When faced with harassment on the busy train in Taipei, some women don't feel safe calling for help. That's why Taipei City Police have come up with an innovative new solution. Heads bowed, thumbs tapping away. People on their phones are a common sight on the Taipei Metro. But thanks to a new app, those same phones have become a tool to stop sexual harassment. Inspired by a similar innovation in Japan, Taipei Police have released an app of their own. It displays a call for help on your phone screen to show other passengers you're in trouble. One woman says that it's a good idea. Another says that attackers won't realize you're calling for help. Another function helps women get home safely. If you're being followed, you can find your way to the nearest safe business to get help. Taipei police official Lin Bilan explains. He says you can search for a business and then find the quickest route there. Huang Zhaozi from the Women and Children's Protection Division says people should stop attackers by shouting for help. If that's not possible, the new app helps you get others' attention without a sound. With increased awareness and technological improvements like these, police are hoping to make harassment on public transport a thing of the past. Stash Butler, RTI News. Many parents say that TV rots their children's brains. But for one family in central Taiwan, TV is a valuable educational tool that has boosted the kids' test scores. Most parents probably see TV as something that will lower their children's test scores. But for one Yunlin County family, TV time is time well spent. The father says he has put his daughters on a strict regimen of American TV shows that is designed to improve their English. Watch as he pauses a show and asks his daughter what the subtitles mean. In fact, Mr. Lin's two daughters have reached a point where they no longer need Chinese subtitles. The elder Lin sister, Ling Chenyo, says that TV has helped her see English as less of a tedious school subject and fostered her interest in the language. She says that if you view English as just a school subject, you're less likely to do well with it. Crazy as it sounds, Mr. Lin's method works like magic. Ling Chenyo has never once sought outside help for her English proficiency, and yet she's been recognized by her school for her linguistic excellence. Her teachers say her English level is as good as someone who studied abroad. Mr. Lin says that it's all about context. TV provides important clues which textbooks can't. He says that subtitles, settings, actors' expressions, and precise pronunciation all help his children garner an even better understanding of the language. Just listen to Ling Chenyo talk about her English education in English. I have much resource. He taught me English when I was very little. I'm really thankful for him for doing all of this for me.
Disposable beverage cups are a major source of landfill waste and contribute to plastic pollution. That's why two convenience stores in the northern city of Taoyuan are making a change. Load up a QR code and you're good to go. Taoyuan City convenience stores are allowing customers to rent a reusable coffee cup. Right now, there are two stores offering the new containers, with eight more on the way. Taoyuan Mayor Zheng Wenchan says it's all part of his plans to develop a circular economy and smart city. He says the four main convenience store chains use 450 million disposable cups a year. Making things reusable is a great way to reduce waste, plastic and carbon emissions. Great things often have small beginnings, but customers are already pleased. One woman says it's a pain to have to bring a cup every day. She much prefers being able to rent one at the store. At the moment, you don't need to pay a deposit to rent a cup, and stores are giving out discount vouchers to the first 500 customers. The discount for bringing your own cup also still applies. For Taoyuan's transition towards a greener economy, it's a small step in the right direction. Stash Butler, RTI News. And that's all we have for this week's edition of News Playlist. For Radio Taiwan International, I'm Paula Chow. Bye-bye. It's uh, 1994, U.S. policy adjustment over Taiwan. The U.S. Uh, lifted the plan of engagement between working level meetings uh, in federal buildings. Uh, nonetheless, uh, the Biden administration is uh, encouraging such uh, engagement. Hello and welcome to this week's On the Line brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. I'm Carlson Wong. It seems that the relations between Taiwan and the U.S. have been increasing. The U.S. State Department announced on April 9th a new policy to encourage engagement between Taiwanese and U.S. officials. And in mid-April, President Chai met a senior delegation led by U.S. Senator Dodd, and he was sent by the U.S. President, President Joe Biden. In mid-April, U.S. President Joe Biden and Japanese Prime Minister Yoshihide Suga made a joint statement after the summit referring to the importance of peace and stability in the Taiwan Strait, and it was the first reference to Taiwan jointly made again by the U.S. and Japanese leaders since 1969. Will there be a repeat of Truman containment policy by the Biden administration, and what alliances are formed by the two superpowers, China and the U.S. To find out more, we're joined today by Professor Edward Yishin Chen, a professor emeritus of Tempkang University at the Department of Diplomacy and International Relations. Now, the Japanese and U.S. defense chiefs have agreed in the recent meeting uh, in Tokyo mm. to cooperate in the event of a military conflict between Taiwan and China. Does that mean that uh, Japan will come to aid when the Taiwan is attacked? Uh, I think uh, uh, the, the U.S.-Japan summit will be held 
two two days later. Uh, but I don't I don't think that uh, the U.S. Uh, will dispatch its troops uh, to help Taiwan in defense of uh, uh, itself. But nonetheless, I think Japan will provide all necessary assistance to the United States once uh, Taiwan is uh, attacked by China. The U.S. State Department announced on April 9th a new policy mm. to encourage engagement between Taiwanese and U.S. officials. Uh, one example now, they are encouraging working-level meetings to be held in federal bu- buildings in the U.S. Uh, Professor Chen, what is the significance mm. of the n- new policy? Uh, I think uh, in it's, uh, 1994, U.S. policy adjustment toward Taiwan, uh, the U.S. Uh, lifted the ban of engagement between working-level meetings uh, in federal buildings. Uh, nonetheless, uh, the Biden administration is uh, encouraging such uh, engagement, uh, but uh, we still don't know what kind of uh, uh, exchanges are allowed or to what extent uh, we can have a, a high-level uh, official uh, meeting. Mm-hmm. And and now um, U.S. Taiwan official meetings can take place uh, in Los Angeles, in Houston, or even mm-hmm. in New York at the TACRO, the Taipei Economic and Cultural Representative Office uh, in New York, for example, the Taiwan's de facto consulate. And these meetings were prohibited under previous guidance, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think... Uh, uh it still depends whether uh, uh, all officials in Los Angeles, uh, in New York, uh, could make an individual breakthrough, diplomatic breakthrough, uh, to have meetings with the U.S. counterparts. Um, but uh, I think that the new regulation is, is that uh, U.S. and AIT officials cannot be invited to uh, go to go to attend double tens celebration or similar occasions, uh, so that uh, it will not, uh, the United States uh, will not violate uh, one-China policy. Uh, but in the past, uh, our U.S. and AIT officials uh, were occasionally invited to uh, uh, twin ups uh, to attend double tens uh, uh, celebration or similar occasions. But uh, things that now there is a new regulation that uh, I think the U.S. or U.S. and AIT officials. Uh, may not uh, have the chance uh, to attend uh, the uh, double tens uh, celebration party. Maybe maybe they can feel free to go there, not, not in terms of uh, uh, violating one China policy, but uh, in some uh, uh, import, in diplomatically important occasions, uh, they cannot be invited there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, Professor Chen, with so much tension going on right now, do you think there is a possibility of the repeat of uh, Truman's containment policy uh, in the future? Uh, actually, if the current trend continues and uh, things are going from bad to worse, the current, uh, I think, uh, uh, the current confrontation between the U.S.-led Democratic tech, Technological Alliance and the China-led uh, dictator, uh, dictator uh, the Technological Alliance will be even more severe than, than the Cold War era. So what role will the, uh, Russia play? Uh, I think uh, uh, among 
16, so far 16 country uh, dictator technological alliance, Russia uh, is particularly uh, strong or important in its uh, arsenal of uh, nuclear weapons system and uh, uh, its capabilities uh, in producing uh, and creating a new high-tech uh, weapon weaponry, uh, whereas North Korea and uh, even Iran uh, are known to their uh, nuclear power and uh, uh, cyber attack capabilities. So if there is containment policy, and of course or, hmm. or Russia, North Korea, and even Iran uh, will also play very important roles. Yeah, I think this is the these four countries: China, Russia, Iran, and attack uh, are the top four uh, or top uh, or most important countries in in the the China-led sixteen country alliance. So, will China have more closer engagement with Russia, North Korea, and Iran in the future? Uh, of course, given U.S. powerful containment. Uh, policy against Beijing, China cannot but form an alliance with Russia, North Korea, Iran, and uh, and many others. And, and, and I think the number uh, of countries in the alliance will continue to increase. You're listening to Online, brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. I'm Carlson Wang. Today I'm speaking with Professor Edward Yijin Chen, a professor emeritus of Temkang University at the Department of Diplomacy and International Relations. The U.S. right now is already um, trying to gain alliance with uh, the Indo-Pacific uh, countries, mm. as we mentioned uh, earlier, for example, with Malaysia, with India, with the Philippines, even with Taiwan, Japan, uh, Korea, mm-hmm. and with is also Western bloc, as you mentioned, Professor Chen, Germany, the UK, and France. And so, do you think that um, the US led uh, power in a way is stronger than th- uh, the China led uh, alliance? Uh, I think. Uh among the uh, countries in U.S.-led alliance, uh, most of them are technological advanced countries or high-tech countries. But among the 16 uh, country uh, alliance led by China, uh, there are only a, a few, a tiny number of uh, high-tech uh, countries. So, uh, so far, we don't know uh, which side where uh, where gain the upper hand? Uh, uh, but uh, we think that uh, so far, I think uh, uh, the U.S. seems to gain the upper hand in terms of uh, high tech uh, or uh, uh, high tech uh, capabilities in the information age. So we do hope that there will be uh, no war or containment policy that takes place again in the future between um, China-led alliance and U.S.-led alliance. I think that this is a, a new trend, but we, we, we still don't know which side will uh, love and last. Uh, nonetheless, I think uh, so far, uh, uh, I think China uh, is... Uh, where we feel uh, it, it is advantage position 
because uh, uh, particularly uh, President Biden wear some uh, high tech or semiconductor or uh, uh, chips, uh, chip summit. Then and China, Russia, uh, Iran, Korea uh, will be excluded. So China will will feel uh, depressed. Yeah, very much. Mm-hmm. It seems that the Biden administration has only taken place uh, for more than three months, but um, it also seems that uh, President mm. Biden is uh, uh, quite uh, tough uh, faced with uh, the relations with China. And many say before that uh, if the Biden was sworn the if Mr. President Biden was sworn in, uh, he would take a softer approach. But it doesn't seem mm. that way, does it? Yes, I think uh, China. Uh, okay, most people will be, will believe that Biden is a weak president. Though before he he uh, he 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 was he, he is the master of White House. Uh, but uh, now we we can see that uh, Biden is uh, trying to uh, change uh, its a uh, change its a. Uh, uh, impre- in in is his own impression in the rest of the in in the eyes of the rest of the world, and uh, by uh, taking a very tough policy uh, toward China. So I think um, uh, people will change their their mind that Biden is no longer uh, a weak president. Instead, uh, he is now a very powerful and strong uh, president. Mm-hmm. How will the future China-U.S. relations hold, uh, Professor Chen? I think, uh, given the current trend, I think uh, China and the United States will continue to compete keenly uh, 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 in the view in future. Whereas, uh, uh, as so long as Taiwan refuses uh, to embrace uh, one China policy, I don't think uh, uh, the cross trade relations uh, will be improved uh, significantly. What about the relations between Taiwan and the U.S.? We know that there is a referendum coming uh, up in August uh, on yeah. the import of U.S. pork. Uh, U.S. pork? Uh, what? Uh, uh, you know, if the referendum on uh, the import of U.S. pork is passed in uh, August, I think that would cause an impact between uh, the U.S.-Taiwan relations. Do you think so? Uh, I think uh, the U.S.-Taiwan relations uh, seems uh, quite seems quite well uh, in the foreseeable future, but in the long run, we still don't know whether China and the United States will uh, improve their relationship uh, on a uh, you know quid pro quid pro quo basis. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people are still worried about the cross-strait relations. So, Professor Chen, what do you think will happen to Taiwan-China relations in the future? Uh, in the future, I think, uh, since uh, the current DPP government will, will not accept the uh, 92 consensus, so I don't think that, uh, uh, I don't think the prospect uh, of uh, cross-strait relations uh, is very, very good. Instead, I, 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 I prefer to believe that the prospect of cross-trade relations is dimming. Mm-hmm. But still, we know that the U.S. is, is playing the so-called Taiwan card. Uh, of course. Uh, most people believe that Biden uh, will not uh, play the Taiwan card once he, become, he becomes the, uh, the president. Nonetheless, uh, I think Biden is simply playing the Taiwan card in different form. 
And so we do hope that the relations between Taiwan, the U.S., and China, you know, will improve in the future. And we've been joined on the phone today by Professor Edward Yixin Chan, a professor emeritus of Temkang University at the Department of Diplomacy and International Relations. And for more information about this program, please visit en.rti.org.tw. That's en.rti.org.tw. And that wraps up this week's On the Line, brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. I'm Carlson Wong. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw for the latest news and features from Taiwan. You can also listen to our programs and watch videos as well. Our 60-minute English language program can also be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 9405 kHz. Again, that's in southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 9405 kHz. And in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. Again, that's in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Again, that's P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Or send an email to rti at rti.org.tw. Again, that's rti at rti.org.tw. Also visit us on Facebook. The address is fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International. Once again, on Facebook, we're located at fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International for videos, photos, and news of interest from Taiwan. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International.